0: And so this morning, we're, we're back in Revelation chapter 6, and, and uh, that may be a little bit of a hard transition coming off Easter, and maybe you're new this morning, and, and you've come to our church maybe for the first time, or you haven't been in a while. We're, we're studying through the book of Revelation, and specifically, we're in the section that deals with the opening of the seven seals during the tribulation period. And, and, and man, we, we've kind of gotten knee-deep in the weeds, if you will. And so I want to just give us a little bit of review uh, as we begin this morning, okay? Are you, are you guys okay with a little bit of review? Okay, Amen or owe me a sufficient answer, okay? All right, because either way, you're getting it, so no 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 worries. So let's look at Revelation 6 and verse 1. We're going to read the first six verses uh, together, and then I'll just give you a little review in your notes, and then we'll get going with our main text this morning. So, so John writes, and he says, I saw... Uh, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, so this is the the opening of this seven-sealed book, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see, and I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering, and to conquer, and when he opened the second seal, I heard the, the, the second beast say, come and see, and there went out another horse that was red, and power was given him that sat thereupon to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And behold, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, a, a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Okay, and so, and so what we are seeing is what is unfolding on this earth During the opening of these seven seals, John is in the third heaven before the throne of God. We study that in Revelation chapter 5. And as these seals are being opened by the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically things are happening on the earth. God's judgment on the nations and on the nation of Israel are being unfolded. And there's some crazy stuff that's happening. And so let me just remind you that, that we saw this this first seal was opened and announced, and it was announced by this first beast. And and when we went back to Revelation 4 and verse 7, we find that there are four beasts that surround the throne of God. And actually in Revelation 4 and verse 7, you get the identity of each of those beasts. One is like a calf. One is like a man. uh, One is excuse me, the first one's like a lion, the second one's like a calf, the third one is like a man, and the fourth one is like a flying eagle. And, and each of these four beasts around the throne are announcing these first four seals. And there's probably some significance to that. I haven't quite figured that out yet. So, so the first beast, the lion, as the seal is open, tells John, come and see. And what John sees is a white horse, Okay. He sees a white horse, and many times in the, in the Bible, people automatically presume that that rider of the white horse is Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ rides a white horse according to Revelation chapter 19. But this rider of this horse is not Christ, he's actually a false Christ, or he is the anti-Christ. And, and we know that because if we compare Revelation 6 to Revelation 19, nothing else matches up Nothing matches up. As a matter of fact, this rider has a bow in his hand. Jesus Christ in Revelation 19 has a sword coming out of his mouth. This rider is followed by death and hell. In Revelation 19, Jesus Christ is followed by the armies of God. And so as you compare the two, there's no way in the world that this rider could be Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that his method of, 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 of work is he's conquering And so listen, the Antichrist during the tribulation period is going to conquer this earth, but the way he's going to do it is through peace. As a matter of fact, we looked at a lot of passages in the book of Daniel, and it tells us that he's going to obtain the kingdom by flatteries, and he's going to obtain it peaceably. The Antichrist isn't even going to have to wage war. He's going to come into power through a global peace and through policy. And that's very interesting. And so, and so again, you want to take note of that, because man, it isn't that kind of the, the message of our news every single day? We're, we're striving to somehow get peace in this world. And, and we're trying to do it through government policies and nations and kingdoms, and everybody's legislating and making deals behind the scenes and all these different things. Well, listen, on, at this point in history, there will be a world leader that rises up that brings in peace. Like no one else has before. And it will be worldwide. It will be global. He will conquer with a bow without arrows. And he will establish his false kingdom on this earth. And that's what John is seeing the initial conquering of the Antichrist. And then he, he gets an invitation from this second beast as the second seal is opened. And the beast says, Come and see. The calf says, Come and see. And now he sees a red horse. And the Bible says that power was given to him that sat thereupon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. And so, and so, as this false peace is established, man, the very next seal, this false peace is now taken. It's the ultimate bait and switch, by the way. That's the way the devil works. He offers you something that's not real, and then you get what his real motive is. And so this false peace that's been established will be taken from this, from this earth by this false Christ, and now, man, power is going to be given, that, that man is going to be killing each other, and, and this, this beast, this rider has a great sword, and listen, beginning now, there's going to be bloodshed on this earth like never before. As a matter of fact, during the tribulation period, mankind will kill one another like no other time in history. And, and I don't know if you've studied history, but man has gotten really good at killing each other. That started all the way back in Genesis, right? It, with Cain and Abel. And, and listen, it's only got progressively worse, and it will only get more, more damaging, more worse, as, as this tribulation period goes on. And so, and so, man, in this world, during the tribulation, mankind will have no inhibitions. And man, listen, you just thought you got mad in traffic. Man, listen, during this time, it's going to be bad. Like people, you talk about road rage now. Like it'll just be rage all the time then. Man will be absolutely unrestrained in the shedding of blood of his fellow man. And then there's this third beast that gives John the invitation to come and see. And this third beast that has a face of a man tells John, Come and see. And what John sees now following that second seal is this third seal. It's a third horse. And this horse is a black horse. And man, listen, as this black horse conquers this earth, what begins to happen is that the food resources on this earth become become inflated. They become in government control. There's a famine and there's economic collapse. As a matter of fact, In this rider's hands of the black horse, the Bible says that there's a set of balances. And there's actually a weighing out or a measuring out of food during this time. And I told you a couple of weeks ago, man, if you've studied history, in our country especially, we don't have much... Famine historically in our country, but if you go back to the Great Depression in the early 20s and things like that You you have those historic pictures of people standing outside the soup kitchens, right? The soup lines trying to get a cup of soup and a piece of bread and and man The line would go around the block all the way or down the street all the way and and listen Nobody had food. No one had money There was government policies that failed and and there was a political agenda that failed and and the economy crashed and listen the most important resource wasn't money, it wasn't gold or silver, it was food. And, and during this time, man, the Bible says that a measure of wheat is going to go for a penny. And, and you say, well, that doesn't sound like much. Well, when you study a penny in the Bible, God tells us that a penny is a Roman measure of money. And it's actually connected to Caesar. And it's the wage of a Roman soldier potentially for working one full day. In other words, You would work one full day just to get one measure of wheat for one meal, work all day long for one meal. What about my family? Well, you're just going to have to do the math. You're going to have to figure that out. Three measures of barley for a penny. And so so when this seal is opened and this rider takes control of the economy and the food resources, there's going to be a famine. And man, listen, there's going to be a false balance. In other words, man, food is going to be the most expensive thing. And, and so that leads us this morning to now Revelation chapter 6 and verse 7. And we'll pick up this morning in verse 7. And it says this, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. So let me pray for us this morning, and, and then we'll get into it. Father, we need you this morning, I pray uh, God, as we study these things, man, these are, these are powerful truths that are going to happen because your word is true, and God, we need to be mindful, and Lord, as, as the church of Jesus Christ, God, as we, as we study these things, it ought to motivate us and break our heart for the lost. It ought to make us more missional. It ought to make us more holy as we see your day approaching, and so Lord, give us those things. We ask it in faith, and we ask it in Christ's name, Amen. So let's follow the same basic outline that we've been studying the last couple of weeks. Number one, we're going to start with the invitation of this fourth beast. And this fourth beast is as or like a flying eagle. As a matter of fact, again, if you go back to Revelation 4 and verse 7, that is the fourth beast that's mentioned. And what he tells John is, come and see. And so John looks, and behold, what he sees is a pale horse. Okay, And so this fourth horse is a pale horse. This is commonly the four horsemen, right, of, of the book of Revelation or the four horses of Revelation. And so this fourth one is a pale horse. Okay. Now, when you study this word pale in the Bible, it, there's only one other reference in the Bible. I want to give it to you. Isaiah 29, verse 22. This is the only other time that the word pale is used. And so let's look at this and see if we can understand what God's teaching us. Therefore, thus saith the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not be, uh, now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. His face won't become pale. And, 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 and so it's interesting, this word pale, this color pale is connected to waxing. And, and you're already thinking like, oh, waxing my car. What, do you, what, do you, what exactly does the word wax mean? In the King James Bible. Well, the, the word wax means to become something. We see that in Genesis 18 and verse 12, the first mention of the word "wax" or waxed. It says, Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being all old also. In other words, what she's saying is, and remember, God gave a promise to Abraham, hey, you're going to have a son in your old age. And and Sarah's like, hey, when, I'm, when I become old, when I wax old, uh, shall I have pleasure? And we won't have that conversation of what that means this morning, but I think most of you know, it has something to do with conceiving a child. And, and so she's becoming old. She's, she's becoming old and she's questioning God's promise. And so listen, this thing of, of paleness with this horse, a pale horse has become pale, Pale is something that you become. It, it, it's all of us right now because we've just come out of winter. You know what I'm talking about? And you go outside, man, and you put your shorts on and you blind your neighbor. You have waxed pale. Not Corey, but everybody else. Okay, so I just had to say that because he's acting up over there, so I had to draw attention to him. <laughs> I mean, it's like that tan you had last summer has now waxed pale because you've been all, inside all winter. You have become. Ghost white, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, nobody knows what I'm talking about. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So, so it, it is interesting. There's, there's a serious connection to this as well. And, and again, I don't want to be weird or crash this morning, but, but let me make the serious application. Like, like when someone dies, when somebody takes their last breath as a human, the very first thing that happens in their body is that their body becomes pale. Actually, that, that condition is called pallor. Mortis, and it happens usually within the first fifteen to twenty to thirty minutes after death. And what it is is a result of the lack of circulation in a human body, because when there is no pumping mechanism, when the heart is not circulating our blood, well then the blood just goes where gravity takes it. Pallor, mortis, paleness, and, and man, listen again. I hope never. I hope none of you have ever been in the situation where you've been with someone that's passed, but maybe you have and by the way that's a natural thing but man there's a paleness that comes over the body and so this fourth horse and again that's going to be a key connection this pale horse because of what what the rider of this horse is it connects to what we're going to see in just a second this pale horse makes a lot of sense when we see the rider of the pale horse which is our second point let's look at the rider of this pale horse and and, and he says in verse 8, I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. And so, that, that illustration of, of, again, something losing life, losing color, losing uh, the flourishing of, of, of circulation, man, that, that actually makes sense when you see who this rider of this horse is. It is death himself. And so in your notes, let's talk about the commuter on this pale horse, the commuter on this pale horse, his name that sat on him was death. And that's a capital D. And so what we need to understand is that in this passage, death is actually personified. In other words, during this time in the tribulation period, man, this rider of this pale horse is actually death personified in a person. And it's now on this earth. And man, listen, as you study the Bible, that's not actually an uncommon thing that God does in his word. As a matter of fact, many of you know that Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God, right? Capital L, the Lamb of God. But listen, Jesus Christ is not a four-legged creature with a wool coat, But but he's personified as the Lamb of God because of his sacrificial atonement. So that Lamb becomes personified. Does that make sense? You guys okay with that? Jesus Christ is also called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so again, is Jesus a four-legged beast with a mane found in Zambia that we're going to see in a couple of weeks? No. But, But he is a conquering king personified as a lion, right? And and so listen, death is personified now as this rider of this fourth beast. He's even given the pronoun him at the end of verse eight. And and then secondly, I want you to understand that death is not alone. Man, when he shows up, he has a companion. And his companion is is none other than hell, capital H. The Bible says that hell followed with him. You say, wait a second, I thought hell was a place. Yes. But hell is also personified on the earth during the tribulation period. And, and, and can I just tell you, listen, you know, no, I don't think anybody has any argument that, that death is real. There's enough proof of that to, to prove that death is real. Well, there's just as much proof biblically that hell is real too. And listen, there is this companion that 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 comes after death, in other words, death is just not the end of all things and listen, there are some people in this world that think, "Hey, man, when I die, that's just it It's just it, that's all there is. There's nothing else, and friend, I would dare to contend with you, according to the word of God, there's actually something that follows death, and in this scenario, it's hell itself. it's hell itself, and so and so, and so death isn't just the end. Some people, man, some people just think, man, my escape out of this life is just death, and then that's it. So I'm going to live the way I want to live, and then I'll just die. Or some people, because of their struggle, because of their, 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 their viewpoint, because of their internal things, emotions, and things like that, man, they struggle, they think death is the answer, let me just get out of here. And man, listen, is as much as that reasoning does make sense in some ways the reality is that's not the end and so for every one of us we have to understand that according to the word of god man death is a doorway to something else and there are a couple of something else's we need to talk about it's eternal life with jesus christ it's actually a place called hell in the center of the earth and so let me show you the connection between death and hell. And again, man, as we talk about this this morning, I know we're just coming off of Easter and you're like, "Bro, this is like some heavy heavy stuff, man. Can we not talk about can we not talk about Easter again?" Well, actually this connects to what we talked about last week. Because Christ has had victory over both death, hell, and the grave. And so and so listen, as uncomfortable maybe it is as it is to talk about these things and open our discussion to these things, we have to look at what God's word says. And so listen, based on the authority of God's word, death is the result of the wages of sin. Many of us know Romans 6 and verse 23, the Bible clearly says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And listen, God's plan was never that man would die. If you go back to that garden God's plan for him was to have eternal fellowship with him and to have eternal life with him. And God gave Adam and Eve a commandment, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, eat of every tree you want, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, the day you eat of, you're going you're to die. So death is a result of man's sin, but it wasn't God's plan Man's sin caused it. Man's rebellion caused it. Man's rejection of God's Word in the Garden of Eden. That's what, it, that's what caused it. And, and then Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And so we all are sinners according to the Word of God. We've broken God's Word. We've broken God's law. We have a sin nature. We prove it because we sin. So now death is part of that consequence. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And so listen, we have to understand that, man, death is is nothing more than the wages of sin, but it is the wage of sin. And so here's this key in your notes that you want to get down, man. Death destroys the body. It destroys the body. And we understand that in our culture, we understand that, that man, the life, our life leaves this body, our soul and spirit depart from this body, man, this body absolutely dies. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, God tells us that there is someone that has the power of death, and we see him in Revelation 6, and we see him in Hebrews 2. It says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He's talking about Christ. That through, through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is who? The devil. And, and man, when you study this thing out, man, the devil showed up in the garden. And because he got Adam and Eve to disobey God and rebel against God through their own free will choice. And the consequence of that was death. And, and listen, when you study death through the Bible, and again, I don't want to be morbid this morning. God talks about, man, there's sorrow in death, man, there's trouble in death, there, there's, there's pains in hell, so to speak, there's snares associated with it. And so listen, death is now unleashed on this earth in this tribulation period, and man, we're going to see the significance of how much impact he's going to have, but man, he is going to destroy human lives. And is, if that wasn't bad enough, remember he has a companion hell follows. And so, and so go to your, your notes again and let's see this second key thing. Man, listen, death destroys the body, but hell consumes the soul. Hell will be what consumes the soul. And, and I don't know how it plays out in your mind, but as I see this, ho- this horse rider on this pale horse, man, riding, I see this in my mind. I see this companion following closely right behind him. That whoever death touches, man, hell itself is open and ready to receive those who have rejected Christ, those who have rejected the witness of the 144,000, those who have rejected God's presence and knowledge in their life. Man, hell's waiting right there to consume them. Look at Matthew 10 and verse 28. The Bible says, and fear not them which kill the body and are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Luke chapter 12 and verses 4 to 5, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. Hey, physical death is not the end. And after that, have no more they can do, but I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. I say unto you, fear him. And so listen, man, this thing of hell is real. It's as real as death is. Because God's Word is authoritative in both, we can know what God's talking about. Hell is also connected with sorrow. 2 Samuel 22 and verse 6, David was, was writing a song and, and talking about the sorrows of hell compassing him and death preventing him. Man, here, here's probably one of the most disturbing verses in the Bible, and don't put it on the screen yet, but, but Isaiah 5 and verse 14. When we get to Isaiah 5, God is proclaiming judgment against the nation of Israel. And he's talking about the things that are going to happen to to Israel and and the prideful men of Israel and the nations that are prideful and resist God and resist the Word of God. And man, can I just tell you, this is is one of the most disturbing verses biblically. Look at Isaiah 5 and verse 14. The Bible says, Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. And can you understand from that passage that hell hell never gets full? In other words, hell never says, We don't have room for anyone else. Man, there's no more room, no one else can come here. As a matter of fact, it says quite the opposite that hell is able to enlarge herself and open her mouth without measure. Proverbs 27 and verse 20 says, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. And you know that's true because of your YouTube search history. Just like you got room for one more click, hell has one room for one more person. There's always room. And then what we see in this passage, and what we're about to see in the passage, and what the significance of this fourth writer in this passage, the significance of it, is is unlike anything this world has ever seen. That death and destruction, and then the people that will go straight to hell will be like nothing ever imagined. And yet, hell will not say, That's enough. We're full, no more room matter of fact, it will be the exact opposite. Now, ugh, and that's sobering. Well, here's what you also need to know about death and hell. Listen, death and hell aren't the end either. And, and our mind is we, we think that sometimes death is the end and, and that's the finality of our life. Well that's not true. And then if we die and man, listen, God forbid that, that someone wakes up in hell because of their rejection of Christ and in the tribulation, the rejection of God's word, of what's required during that time. That's bad, but even that's not the end, because both death death and hell are waiting for a final judgment. Look at Revelation 20, verse 13. There's a final judgment that comes even after death and hell. Look at Revelation 20, verse 13. It says, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they judged every man, and they, they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into what? The lake of fire. This is the second death. And man, can I just tell you that as bad as death is, that's not the end. And as bad as hell is, that's not the end, because ultimately, both death and hell will be cast into this place called the Lake of Fire, as if it couldn't get any worse it most certainly will. So, you, so what do we do with that? man? Well, one, we receive what God has done for us so that we don't go there. And, and again, we're talking about the tribulation period, what comes later in prophecy. But right now, listen, you can still die right now. And the reality is you can absolutely still go to hell right now if you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Christ has power over both of these things. And here's the, here's the saving grace in this point. Christ has the keys to both death and hell. And man, he conquered both through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Amen. Revelation 1 and verse 18, Christ says, I am he that liveth. And we talked about that last week. And folks, he's still alive today, a week after Easter. We ought to be just as excited today, a week after Easter. He is still alive. He was dead. Behold, he is alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. And so listen, as much as doom and gloom as that stuff sounds, and it is, the beauty is there's a person that's conquered both, and it's Jesus Christ. And you can be forgiven of your sin that results in your death and your punishment in hell through his finished work, but you have to receive it by grace, by faith, by, by, by just believing what God said about what Christ did for you. It's faith in the finished work of Christ. Man, I'm thankful that Christ has the keys. I'm thankful that even now, even though we're not in the tribulation period, man, when death comes for us, we have nothing to fear. We have absolutely nothing to fear because we are secure in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so now let's get to the main point here. Man, let's see the devastation of these two riders. Man, when, when, when you see what happens on this earth from these two men, from these two riders, man, it is overwhelming. Look at verse eight again. It says, power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And so what you see through this fourth seal and this fourth horse is now devastation on this earth. As a matter of fact, let's look at the math of their destruction. Any math nerds in the house? Any math people? All the people that hate numbers, raise your hand. Oh, i Am I going to ask if you balance your checkbook? Is that even a thing anymore? Nobody balances checkbooks, do they? Do you check your balance online? Do you do the math? Negative numbers mean bad things in your, in your bank account, just, just for the record. Math is important. I think math is biblical, and, and now God's given you a formula. He says a fourth part of the earth is going to be killed. Now listen, you could gloss over that and be like, oh, that sounds really bad. Well, let me let me tell you how bad it is. One-fourth of the population of this earth is going to be killed during this time in the tribulation. And by the way, this comes after the second seal has already been opened. Remember, the red horse rider had power that man should begin killing one another without res- restraint. So, so, so that's already been happening. But now, these two riders are going to guarantee that Man, a high percentage. As a matter of fact, 25% of the people on the earth are going to die during this time. And I don't know if you've done the math, but, but right now the earth's population is a tick over 8 billion people. And, and this is after the rapture of the church. This is where God comes and gets his body, the church, from this earth, I believe, before the tribulation begins. And I don't know how many people go out at the rapture. In other words, if there's 8 billion people on this planet... And God calls up a billion people, and that may be a generous estimation. I sure hope it's more than a billion, by the way. Here's the question, who's going to be there because of you? Who will be a part of the rapture because of your evangelizing and sharing the gospel with people? And we can't sit here and say we sure hope a billion people get raptured if we're not telling people about Christ. Okay, and so let's just say for Numbers' sake that a billion people get taken at the rapture, prayerfully more, but that leaves 7 billion people on the earth that are going to enter into the Great Tribulation and are going to be exposed to these seals that are being opened. Men are now killing each other like never before, and now there's worldwide famine and economic collapse. That's the first three seals And now, man, a fourth of that population is going to die. That's 1.75 billion people. Let me put that in perspective for you and help you understand what a billion actually is. If you were to count 1 million seconds from this point until you hit 1 million seconds, you would count for a week and a half to get a million seconds. If you were to count one billion seconds, it would take you nearly 32 years to count a billion seconds. That's 1.75 billion people. They're going to die. And God's about to tell us how they're going to die. And you say, man, that sounds horrible. You have no idea. You have absolutely no idea listen if you think covid was bad and covid was bad there's not a drop in the bucket man if you think world war one and world war two was bad you have no clue there's not it's a drop in the bucket as a matter of fact it's probably more people than all the wars combined man. you do the math it'll remove you to know that there are people that live across the street from you, that you work with, that are part of your family, that quite literally could be part of that group of people. Do the math. And if you believe the Word of God, you ought to do something about it. So, so we see the math of their destruction. Number two, let's see the method of their destruction. And God gives us in this passage four things. That this rider is going to use to destroy the life of humanity. Number one, he's going to give him a sword. We already saw that in the second horseman, that red horse. The rider was given a great sword, and now it's amplified even more. The bloodshed will be absolutely horrendous. Number two, there will be hunger. And remember, that third horse and that third seal, when it was opened, food became a, a priceless resource, it was needed and measured out. But now, people are literally dying because of hunger, because they can't afford it. They can't get access to food. And again, man, if you were here during COVID and, and man, you just went to stand in line at the grocery store, you went to Sam's and you saw the line just down the road, man, and, and people were just rationing out, not only food, but toilet paper, you know what I'm talking about? Like that was the cash commodity, It's like, I got frozen food and a big pack of toilet paper. I'll trade you one roll for, you know, a box of cereal, whatever. I mean, weird stuff doesn't hold a candle to what's going to be happening. And so that famine now has taken effect. And again, people are going to be starving to death. Number three, death will be taking hold. And if you compare Scripture with Scripture, you're going to get back to Matthew 24 and verse 7. And specifically, that death is going to come by way of Pestilences, according to Matthew 24 and verse 7. And then it says, the beasts of the earth. And, and man, again, I don't want to be weird. But, you know, God, was, God gave man dominion over the animal kingdom, over, over the, the beast of the earth in Genesis. But, but can I just tell you that during this time, possibly, possibly, man, that thing gets flipped. In other words, you don't want to go to Zambia and go on a safari during the trip because the king of the beast, the lion, all of a sudden doesn't respect the fact that you're on a safari vehicle. He could care less. He sees lunch, right? This, 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 this dominion that man has exercised for over 6,000 years has now been flipped. Uh, there's some other things that, w- that we could talk about. Can I just tell you that, listen, all of these things that are going to happen They've actually been prophesied both in in the book of Ezekiel and in Job. And and for time's sake, we we won't go to Ezekiel, but but I will have you look at Job chapter 5, verses 17 to 23. Job is an interesting study in the Word of God because Job is a man that went through tribulation. He's a picture of Israel going through the tribulation period. He's opposed by three friends. He has sores in his body. He loses everything that he has. And yet at the end of it, he's restored. Just like the nation of Israel will be. And in Job chapter 5, God calls out seven troubles that Job is going to experience. And yet Job will be recovered from. And prophetically, it points to this time of tribulation that we're talking about. Job 5, verse 17. The Bible says, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. And we should all take note of that. You need to be thankful when God corrects you because God loves you as a son. So God's correction is to bring you into a right relationship with with Him. That's true of Christians. That's also true of a nation that God's going to correct. Therefore, despise not the chastening of the Almighty. And young people in the room, you need to be thankful that you have parents that correct you, and you don't need to despise it because they're trying to help you understand who God is in your life. The Bible says, for he maketh sore, he bindeth up, he, he woundeth, and his hands are made whole. He shall deliver thee in six troubles, Job. Yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee, and then, and then check these things out. In famine he shall redeem thee from death. And in war from the power of the sword, thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongue, neither shalt thou be afraid of destruction when it cometh. At destruction and famine thou shalt laugh, neither shalt thou be afraid of the beasts of the earth. We, we talked about that just a second ago. For thou shalt be in league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with thee. And so, what God is giving Job is, is the same thing God's showing us in Revelation chapter 6. As a matter of fact, we see four or five of those seven, those seven woes unfolded in Revelation chapter six. And you say, okay, I got my blanks full. Now what? Okay. Well, here's what, here's what we Here's the takeaway. Because again, man, we're, we're dealing with heavy prophetic stuff. We're dealing with tribulation stuff. And, and again, I don't believe the church is going to be there. Why should we even care? One, because God wrote it. That's why we should care. Two, because we know people that are going to go through it. And so if you really believe the Bible, well, you ought to believe it enough to obey it and share the gospel with people. Because man, Christ still has the keys of death and hell. And and there's people that will enter into this time period after the rapture of the church, man. People that you know and that I know. And listen, you can't save anyone and I can't either, but we can make the gospel accessible to them. And what we learn from the tribulation period, I think, is this. I think what we learn during that tribulation period is that man's futile attempts at peace without the Prince of Peace, is just going to fail. And for the lost world, for our governments, for all the different things, listen, can I just tell you that any attempt at worldwide peace, and by the way, any attempt at personal peace... Without Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, it's going to fail. It's going to fail. Can I just tell you that man's futile attempt to stop world hunger without the bread of life, Jesus Christ, is going to fail. I don't care how many programs, how much money, how many different uh, you know, think tank ideas that we can do, how many wells we punch, how much training we do in agriculture. Listen, all those things are fine. But without the bread of life, Jesus Christ, you're not going to stop hunger in this world. And can I just tell you that man's futile attempt to escape death without the person of life, Jesus Christ, that's going to fail too. As a matter of fact, I was reading this week, and, and, and man, you know, we're still trying to find that magical elixir of life that lets us live forever. And I even read an article that said, as crazy as this sounds... That you're going to be able to view your own funeral through another body. Like somehow they're going to transfer your consciousness and your mind into another body. And so you can attend your own funeral and keep living. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Can I just tell you, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. You're going to try to escape death without the person of life himself, Jesus Christ. John 1 and verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And, and let me just make one more point, we're done. Listen, man's attempt at escaping hell without salvation will fail. It'll fail. It doesn't matter how rich you are, it doesn't matter how religious you are, without the person of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how many good works you've done, What denomination you claim, without Christ, an attempt to escape hell, without salvation in Christ, it'll fail. It'll fail. So what's the takeaway? We need Jesus. That's the takeaway. We need Jesus. And listen, if we're not saved today, if we're watching online and we're not saved today, then we need to come to the place where we humble ourselves because of our sin, And we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture. That he was buried, and he was buried in a tomb that wasn't his. That tomb is actually your tomb and my tomb, because it's what we, we deserve. And he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And listen, that is the gospel, and if you'll receive it by faith, And believe what the word of God says that I'm a sinner. I know I deserve this, but Christ died in my stead, and I accept his substitution for me. Then you can be saved. Then you can be saved. And listen, if we understand that, we need to make sure that message is available to everyone we meet. Some things you don't need to pray about, evangelism is one of them. And man, listen, I'm convicted. We just don't have much time left. Well, I'm worried I'll offend somebody. What, are you going to offend them into hell even more than, than what they're, they're already going? How about you love them enough to tell them the one that's conquered hell and conquered death and conquered the grave, the person of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here and you'd say, man, I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe any of that. Well, let me share with you Proverbs 14 and verse 9. The Bible says, fools mock at sin, but among the righteous there's favor. And there, you may not believe what the Word of God says. You may not believe this stuff about the tribulation or the devil or death and hell or Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, friend, there's one thing you cannot explain away. You sin. You lie. You cheat. You steal. You lust. You fornicate. And you do it because of your sin nature. Don't mock sin. Come to Christ. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to save you. From your sin. Let's pray together. Father we need you this morning.